5-6. Here we are. Fantastic. It's good to have you in church this morning. Hello. Give us a wave. Anybody a little bit warm? Just, just a wee bit. It's great to have you in church. And uh, rather be in church than the best hospital in Armidale. <laughs> Fantastic. So it is really good to have you all here. And uh, is Isaac and Zahida in the house somewhere? They are here. God bless you. Just have a look at Isaac and Zahida. We want to welcome them to church this morning. God bless you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, got a couple of things I want to share, and uh, things are really good. Good to see all the little helpers at the back there. Awesome. Do you like the shirt? So, Dave, are we waiting on anything? Oh, for me. Oh, that's all right. Okay. Well, being a pastor sometimes is the worst job in the world. I'm not joking. Sometimes it's incredibly demanding. It's 24-7, and you're constantly dealing with life crisis issues. But can I tell you, sometimes being a pastor is the most wonderful job in the world. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to hold, well, about a week ago, I got to hold little Aiden Kotze. For the very first time, very cute little boy, locks of hair. That was very nice. But one of the great blessings that you have as a pastor is occasionally you get to do life with people for a long period of time. You get to see them grow and develop and, you know, blossom into their femininity or their masculinity or whatever and then find someone in the world and they pair off and stuff. So it's my absolute delight this morning announce the engagement of Peter and Crystal to each other. Stand up, guys. Congratulations. And she's got the ring at long last. <laughs> and so uh, that, that's just a great, great joy. So wish you every success in that. And uh, wonderful. Uh, so that's one thing that we needed to do. The other thing we needed to do was to, um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Isaac and Zahida's situation. Now, I've been in this church for almost 13 years, and I know I don't look quite that old. I've been here a long time. I've been here longer than anything. And so for those of you who know me well, I don't do this very often. In fact, I've, this is the first time I've ever done this. Um, but Isaac and Zahida come to us from a Pakistani background, and Pakistan is considered by most experts in the world today to be a very dangerous country. And as you know, we have people from our own church that are there serving now, and we are constantly in prayer about issues that they face. Remember only recently we prayed for little Rebecca, one of the workers who was shot by a stray bullet, and that bullet has now lodged in her body. But through prayer, she is doing well in Jesus. She's, I mean, it's an outstanding miracle. But this is the world in which Pakistani believers and Christians have to do. And so what's happened for Zaida and Isaac is that they're connected. I won't give you the full story to politics and to Christianity. But they are what we would consider to be now refugees, people without nation and without state. And they're currently here in Perth. And they have nowhere to stay and nowhere to go and no form of income. That's a tough place to be. Isaac used to be a policeman. And in Asian culture, maybe it's a bit easier in, in Australian culture, but for a man to ask for help to put food in the mouth of his family is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Do you think Aussie men are good at it? Probably Aussie men are probably not much better either. You know, there's a bit of pride sometimes in blokes. Charity sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. For about two months, maybe three months, they are people without status. They have applied for asylum through the Australian government. It's all supported by a lawyer. It's been filed with the federal government. And we don't know what the outcome's going to be. But I have it in my heart that we should do something to try and help. 
that's, that's a tough thing to ask. We have no spare money as a church, but I'd like us to do something to help. I don't know exactly what that looks like at this stage. So what I want you to do is to think about and pray about how you might be able to assist us. What I'm essentially going to be looking for is maybe if you could actually give $5 a week, $10 a week, a cup of coffee a week for two to three months for this particular couple, and then we will pool that in a way so that we can provide them some place to live, some place where they can get some good curry. Very important to get good curry. So that's what I, wanted, that's what I want us to do. Uh, I want to share that with you as a church. Um, I would be happy for them to actually sleep in our church, use our church facility, but the, the government won't allow us to do that. I'm actually prepared to go to jail over it if it was necessary. We would take them into our own home if we had room, but uh, our, my wife's very unwell. But it's in my heart that the story of the Good Samaritan isn't just something that we should preach, but it's something that we should do. And can I tell you the absolute truth? We take a risk. At the end of the day, we might get hurt by the whole process and whatever. But I believe that you lend to God. And that if our heart is actually to minister unto God in this, then whatever happens, God will bless us as a result of our heart's position. So this is something I'm actually, I've spoken to the board about this. It's actually something I'm prepared to be wrong on because I think it's got the right heart behind it. So what I'm going to actually do is take down my mobile phone number. Okay, take down my mobile phone number. If you've got your, some people will have it, but if you don't have it, I'd like you to take it down now. So it's 0417-906-975. Okay. Read it out to me. Okay. And if you'd like to help, just between you and God, pray about it. I, don't want I do not want you to respond emotionally. Okay? Don't want that. You pray about it. And if you can do something, can you text message me, not with your name or anything like that, just text me $5, $3, dollar, whatever, then I'll be able to add that up and then pull that together and see how we might be able to offer some assistance to Isaac and Zahid. And if you have an opportunity, have a talk to them and get their backstory. And if it doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you're a pretty tough guy. They've, they've got a big story behind what's happened in their lives. So thank you for hearing me out on that one. God bless you. Doing a good, doing good. This is the family, isn't it? It's what we do. Uh, now, the other thing I want to just share with you is that I do believe in being a pastor, that it's a very good principle to be transparent and open. I can remember many years ago in this church being transparent and open to you that my marriage to Monique was actually not doing so well and that we had been drifting apart and that uh, my wife was very jealous of the other woman. The other woman was called the church. She gets most of my time and most of my energy. And I fessed up. I probably not had the balance right. Meant well. I meant well. Really did mean well. But at the end of the day, I'd often come home to a wife who needed a love and a cuddle, and my emotional petrol tank was empty. Naughty Mike, naughty Mike. So I have learnt, it's taken me a long time, last Monday we will be married for 35 years. I got married at 14, of course. 35 years. And I have learnt, after how many years? 35 years. Happy wife, happy life. I found out that secret. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. And my great challenge is what makes her happy yesterday may not make her happy today. <laughs> You're in trouble, ain't it? <laughs> I see that elbow. Um. Now, where we are now is my wife is very ill. We actually don't really know what's wrong with her. Last Friday, she thought she was dying. She had gotten to such a state in her physical health 
that she literally thought that was her last day on planet Earth. Saturday wasn't much better. And the only way she could cope with the pain levels and what was going on in her life at that time was to actually hold on to me. Um, now, that just shows you how sick she is. <laughs> so it's a bad joke, I know. <laughs> but you've got to admit, that's pretty sick that you think the only thing that's going to save your life is to hang on to your husband. <laughs> Connie's with me, aren't you, Connie? So we, we are faced with that horrible reality that life stinks, but God's good. And so um, it has meant that we've had to get very active in pursuing our faith in our God. And we're now looking at some alternative medicines because uh, traditional medicine can't help at this stage. Well, by traditional, I mean Western medicine. The doctors don't seem to have any answers. So we're now looking at some other areas of uh, getting some assistance. And I'm having to teach my wife all over again, the ABCs of faith and how to hang on to God. When at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep and, you, and your body's racked with pain. I'm finding it personally incredibly demanding and I'm learning a lot about me and I don't like what I'm learning about me now. I don't like not getting sleep. I don't like not having answers. As a, as a bloke, when your wife says, fix it, and you can't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like having to pray for my wife at 2 o'clock in the morning when she's in excruciating pain and then not knowing why the pain remains. I don't like that. But God is good. And I'm going to ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. And I believe the door will be open. So... I still believe in a big God who can do amazing things. But just wanting to let you into where we are as pastor and a family now. I want to just make it op very open to you. I'm limited in what I can do. And so right now, we are just taking it almost day by day, hour by hour. I'm here today by my wife, Grace. She probably wants me home. So she's doing her best to release me and to help me do the things I've got to do. And so we will continue to do that. But what it might mean is for the next week or next couple of weeks until Monique gets really well again, that's what we're believing for. You know, I've actually booked a motel room on a very nice hotel. I've got it all planned because we're going to believe for the day that we can use that thing and we've got it stapled up there on the, you know, so we can see it and stuff. So... That's, that's, my faith's good, okay? My reality still stinks. Hello, that is what we call the Christian walk. <laughs> Anybody in the same place? You know, what you're believing for and what you've got might be slightly different. Well, that's where we're current, that's our address right now. So I'm just asking for a little bit of understanding. If you ring me and I don't get back to you straight away, uh, just understand, I could be at the doctor's. And if you come to the office and there's no one here, if you could just show some patience, we will uh, still keep the wheels of the church moving as well as we can under those circumstances. So that's just me being me and being honest and open. Is that okay? Love your prayers. Thank you for the meals, all those sorts of things. It's all appreciated. One of the questions my wife keeps on saying to me is, Mike, why am I not here when all these good people are praying for me? I don't know. <laughs> yes, I've got a degree in theology and I'm starting my master's, but I still don't know. <laughs> But it will happen in the name of Jesus. We're going to believe for a great miracle. And uh, so that's good. So that's just off the side. So I've done that. Good news. Peter and Crystal are engaged. Hallelujah. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Very good, Rainer. You've got that one down. And, uh, of course, this is my little inner story. Okay. We're now going to go to the book of Corinthians, chapter 14. We're going to try and cover the whole book of Corinthians uh, chapter 14 in one session uh, in terms of completing our journey here through the series on the book of Corinthians. So that's great. And uh, I'm going to ask my friend Ravi to come up and read us a chapter.
Come on, Ravi. He's been off having adventures somewhere overseas. Could I have the uh, microphone? His brother, Ravi Zacharias, is coming to Perth. One of the great apologists soon. So let's give him as he comes up and shares. Another miracle. He's walking. This was almost paralyzed from the neck down. Look at him. Amazing. God's good. Some people think it would have been better for some to neck up, especially ah. the mouth. <laughs> but That's not kind. First <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them without significance. However, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless the spirit... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? Sorry, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. For in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in, all, come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. 
and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly amongst you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the and spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are submissive. As the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. <clears throat> very good. Thanks, Ravi. It's a nice long passage, very articulate. It's a big uh, section. So, uh, Sam, can we run that video now, please? Thanks for watching our internet edition of Nightline, I'm Martin Bashir. Today we examine the Christian practice of speaking in tongues. Those outside the church often say it's nothing more than gibberish, but some Christians claim that it's the purest form of prayer, beyond the constraints of normal language. Nightline's Vicki Mabry reports on the science of speaking in tongues. <laughs> It is an ancient practice mentioned in the Bible. St. Paul called it speaking in the tongues of angels. Jesus' apostles were first said to do it at Pentecost. The technical term is glossolalia. Most people call it speaking in tongues. There's a vast number of people out there that because they did not personally experience it or have been taught against it all their lives, there's no way they have an ability to embrace it. So that's common. We're still mocked and made fun of. That's not stopping Pastor Jerry Stoltzfus or others in his congregation at the Freedom Valley Worship Center in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, from using what they say is a God-given gift. It's almost as if I'm able to tap into God's heart and what he wants. I get goosebumps, actually. You can feel him all around you, and you can feel him speaking through the words that you're saying. It almost sounds like a foreign language, but actually, those who speak in tongues are not saying anything in any known language. With the gift of tongues, I can trust the Holy Spirit to figure out what needs to be healed. He will use what sounds like gibberish, like any other language sounds like gibberish. Uh, he, he will interpret that for his purposes and his uses. We say things in our own English language, but speaking in tongues is a heavenly language that we're going to God and Jesus intercedes for us. They say they have no control over what comes out of their mouths, that they're swept up in a rush of ecstatic religious feeling. 
and that the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. Do you hear yourself? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think I sound like a total idiot. It's almost all in yellows and red here. At the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Andrew Newberg is looking for an explanation for what most regard as unexplainable. I mean, it's not language. It's not regular language, at least, that would normally activate the frontal lobe. Newberg is exploring the relationship between faith and science, studying what happens in the brain during the deepest moments of faith. We're really going to look at this very, very powerful force in human history of religion and spirituality. I think we really have to take a look at how that affects our brain, what's changing or turning on or turning off in our brain. They're going to go around very fast right now. He's recently published a study of Americans speaking in tongues. Remarkably, he discovered that what's happening to them neurologically looks a lot like what they say is happening to them spiritually. Make sure we got your whole head in there. We asked Pastor Jerry Stoltzfus to come to the university to have his brain scanned while he speaks in tongues. This way, we could see the experiment in action. I don't think faith is anything to be afraid of from science. Science validates faith, so bring it on. Whatever the facts are, bring it on. Just go ahead and, and you can begin prayer. And First, he's told to pray in English. Father, I pray for each of the family members involved in this study. Grant them what they are looking for in their personal lives, for their vision and their potential. Then he's told to speak in tongues. This is the first scan when he was in prayer, speaking in English. This is the second scan when he is praying in tongues. Pastor Stoltzfus's scan showed that his frontal lobe, the part of the brain that controls language, was active when he prayed in English, but for the most part it fell quiet when he prayed in tongues. When they're actually engaged in this whole a very intense spiritual practice, religious practice for them, their frontal lobes tend to go down in activity but I think it's very consistent with the kind of experience that they have because they say that they're not in charge. They're, it's the voice of God, it's the spirit of God that's moving through them. Dr. Newberg says the results were even more dramatic on subjects who were scanned without a nightline crew in the room and who were not speaking in tongues on demand as Jerry Stoltzfus had done. Study participants like Donna Morgan first listened to music then went to where the spirit took them. When I heard about the study, I already knew within my spirit that it was going to be proven that there's a part of our brain that we have no control that when the Holy Ghost is interceding for us, we're out of control. In earlier studies, Dr. Newberg looked at what happens in the brains of Buddhist monks meditating and Franciscan nuns praying. And it was noticeably different from what happens to tongue speakers. That's in fairly stark contrast to the people who are like the Buddhists and the Franciscan nuns who are in prayer because they're very intensely focused. And in those individuals, the frontal lobes actually increased activity. But Dr. Newberg isn't out to prove or disprove anything. He can tell you what happens in the brain, not why. Were you skeptical going into the studies? If by skeptical, the question is, is this a real phenomenon, meaning that this is truly the voice of God speaking through them, that's a much more problematic question, I think, and something that I'm not sure that we've specifically answered simply by doing our study. But for those who believe, it doesn't matter if science can find the footprints of the Holy Spirit in their 21st century brain scans. When you've experienced this, you don't really care what anybody else thinks. It's personal for, in the first place. It is something between you and God. So we don't really care if it's validated or not, but it's fascinating when it is so that people that have thought we're crazy can have something to look at to say, maybe we're not, we're still crazy. We're just not as crazy as they thought. Thank you so much. This is Vicki Mabry for Nightline in Philadelphia. The gray area where fact meets faith.
So <clears throat> currently we are living, you and I are living in the greatest social cultural phenomenon that's taking place around the world. A hundred years ago, no one on the planet Earth spoke in an unknown language. Today, no one can actually estimate, but millions upon millions upon millions of people now have come into this relationship of empowerment with the Holy Spirit. It is actually the greatest. So it's bigger than Facebook. It's bigger than the internet. And it's happening around us. And its marker is speaking in tongues. Now, we've looked at the Corinthian church. It's had all sorts of problems. Amen. And we don't have the time to drill down to everything that a very big chapter has. But one of the things that we need to take out of chapter 14 is that tongue speaking is normative behavior for the church. Yeah? It's one of the things you've got to take out of the passage. Whatever you may define glossolalia speaking in tongues is, it's normative behavior for the church that Paul gave birth to. It should be evident in every church that people moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's normative behavior. It should be what you do and what I do every Sunday, every prayer day, every time we get together. It's what Christians do. Can you say amen? Now, there is also then the issue of private tongues and public tongues. And this is where a lot of the confusion comes in, in terms of what's happening with Paul and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, the back of 1 Corinthians 12, you have do all speak in tongues. The answer in the Greek is no, but he's talking about public gifts, the public office of the prophet, of the apostle, of the teacher. These are people actually acting in a public sense. And so when we come to church, there's some stuff that we do privately and there's some stuff that we do publicly. You understand? Let me give you a quick metaphor. We all sang songs this morning. Amen? Okay. But John was a guy empowered in the order of the service to lead us into the presence of God. It was his public office to lead us in praise and worship. We could all participate on it on a private level, but in the terms of everything happening this in order, it was his job and everybody was aligned and... Uh, you know, harmonizing, doing, following his leads, etc., and stuff like that. So when it comes to the expression of tongues within the congregation, there are two levels in which the private speaking of tongues can operate. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says, he who speaks in the personal prayer language has is speaking not unto people, but is speaking unto God, mysteries that his own spirit doesn't even understand. That's the private language of the Spirit. That's a prayer language animated by the Holy Spirit. That does not need an interpretation. It's good if you can get one, but it's not essential. However, if you're going to take up space in the public congregation, they fought the clock just like I'm fighting the clock right now. They fought the clock back there in 1 Corinthians. If you're going to take up public space and bring something out of your mouth for efficiency's sake, it needs to be understood. You understand? So if I get up here and I simply go, should have bought a Hyundai, see my bow tie, that's not going to help anybody unless there's an interpretation with it. I think it's very interesting. It says an interpretation, not a translation. Not a translation. There is a different word in the Greek for translation. So when someone's bringing a tongue in the public sense in the congregation, what we are meant to be doing is praying for the interpretation of what's being declared and said. And so this is meant to be normative behavior. So I think the challenge we have as Pentecostals is when we're in that place and someone says, you know, just speak to God in your personal prayer language. If we do that too loud, it can then disrupt public order. It disrupts public order. If someone just begins in the, in the congregation having a really great time in Jesus, that's a good thing to do, and they bring a, a personal tongue out loud, it can disrupt the public order. And if, four, if that happens four or five times and it goes for a minute, then you've lost hours and nobody's knowing what's going on. What Paul's simply saying is, don't do that. If you've got a tongue to bring, make certain there is an interpretation. And if there's not, then you pray and get one. 
So tongues with interpretation are fine. Tongues without interpretation, Paul says, is a waste of time. We won't understand. It's not saying it's a bad thing, but it's simply a waste of time. Five words you understand are better than 10,000 words you don't understand. Yeah? Absolutely. So he's just bringing some order, some correction, and these are ecstatic languages requiring a translation to benefit others around them. It says in verse 22 that tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. That is interesting, isn't it? Friends, a public declaration of the tongue today is a sign for unbelievers. It's a sign for unbelievers. Not for believers. Why? Because we know what it is. Yeah? Well, most of us. Do you know what a tongue is? If someone was to speak in an unknown tongue today, is that going to get your attention? If you're saved, it won't get your attention, will it? You know what it is, don't you? But if you've come straight off the street into this church for the very first time and you're looking for the cross and the stained glass and the organ and all the rest, and you come in this congregation and someone gets up behind and starts to deliver a tongue, it's a sign. It's a sign. They will ask questions. They might run out in fear. They might do all sorts of things, but they're going to be asking, there's something different about those people. I didn't fall asleep. I didn't get bored. Something happened that I can't explain. You can't explain God. You can't explain the things of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, speaking in tongues with interpretation is a sign from believers. We should have, now you can't make rules out of things. Unfortunately, that's where you get into religion. There are some churches that will have pre-tongues and interpretations every Sunday. And it'll be the same people. You know, one man got up one day in, in, a, in a congregation, bought this tongue, and, and uh, it was his wife who got up, big Italian lady, and gave this big long tongue, and he got up, and his interpretation was the same a thing, the same a thing, the same a thing. <laughs> you know, we can get into religion over anything. Did you hear about the guy who got up to prophesy and says, uh, I, the Lord, just want to wish you all a happy Christmas. <laughs> or the other guy got up and prophesied, Yay, as Abraham took you through the Red Sea. Oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It was Moses. <laughs> you can get into religion over anything, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But essentially, in Paul's mind, he's wanting to take the overuse and abuse of tongue speaking and bring it down to a fine point where it does what it's meant to do, which is be a sign for unbelievers. We should have a tongue interpretation every Sunday. <laughs> I'm preaching my absolute best here. I've got five minutes to go. Do I have any buy-in here at all? Please. We should have a tongue and interpretation every Sunday. Fresh from the throne of God, something that touches our hearts and opens up our hearts into saying that God is alive and is well. There could be someone here today who may be contemplating suicide. I don't know that. But they've come into church and things are so low, so desperate that they're having those very dark thoughts. And someone gets up, you know, and someone gets up and says, I believe the Lord is saying there's someone here today and you've had this thought. What's that going to do? It's going to be a sign. Now, we shouldn't get hung up over signs. You know, signs just meant to point you to somewhere. We actually spent $10,000 on getting two signs for our church. They're pretty fancy. You know, the fin creatures? You know, who reckons they're fancy signs? However, I'd be very disappointed that if I went out there after church today and there's 50 people gathered around the sign. <laughs> Look at the sign. Oh, I like the sign. It's a sign. The signs are meant to point you to something. It's meant to point you to the fact that God is real. He's supernatural and he can unwrap your life and put you back together again. It's a sign. So... It's private versus the public. It's normative Christian behavior. Ecstatic language is required, requires an interpretation so that others may benefit 
It's a sign for unbelievers. No, it's a sign for unbelievers, not for believers. And Paul says, actually, when you think about it, prophecy's better. Prophecy's better simply because it's a little bit more economical. If you have someone do a tongue, it will be a sign for unbelievers, I tell you. They will think, what is going on here? But it may take two, three minutes for that tongue to come out. And if you're listening, if you've got a good spirit, sometimes you can actually hear them start cold. You know, it's a bit like a little two-stroke motor. You know, and they're in the power zone now. And you know they're hearing from God now. And they go... deep theology but if you've been around you know what i'm saying there's some truth to it some truth to it blessed is the person when you get up stand up come out to the front check it with gary karen one of our other leaders and stuff get up speak up and then shut up Ooh, did I? some people just don't know how to stop i've got this microphone so i'm going to speak in tongues for the next 20 minutes well, then you need an interpretation. So Paul's just saying, well, if you can bring a public tongue and then if you can pray for the interpretation and you're getting that happening, why don't you just prophesy it? It's just so much easier for everybody so we're not wasting time waiting for the interpretation to come, getting it right. And then you have that awkward situation where two interpretations come for the one tongue. So which was the right one? <laughs> I've been around a while. But we should see that sort of manifestation taking place in the life of our church. You know, I was talking to someone the other day who was going through some real challenges. It wasn't my wife, it was someone else. They were going through some significant challenges. And they are saying, Pastor Mark, I can't do this. I can no longer do this by myself. I said, yes. That is exactly why God sent the Holy Spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to do this by yourself. You have been sent a helper, a divine helper, a teacher. Someone will lead you, help you carry the burden, and he's right alongside of you. All you've got to do is call him into your situation, and he's there to help. Jesus knows you can't do it by yourself. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. So that we can do it with God. God wants to partner with us so we can get to the place of victory and success that he desires for each one of us. Paul makes it very clear, make love your aim, but earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So what's most important? Love. Make love your aim, but then desire these gifts. Begin to operate them, and especially that you may prophesy. If I had another two hours, I could tell you why prophecy should be preferred over all the other gifts. You know, if you were to think about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which one would you think was the most useful to the church? Right now, I'd probably think that actually the gift of healing would be very useful for me. But Paul says prophecy is the best gift. That's a whole, new, that's a whole other sermon. So we won't actually take up your time this morning to unpack why that's the case. So my friends, isn't it good when... That great theologian does all this waffle, 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 waffle. Then he gets down and gives you the bottom line. Don't you like that? You think some pastors sometimes, Margaret, should just get to the bottom line. <laughs> Save all that other drama, you know. Here's the bottom line. Paul summarizes the whole chapter for us. You know what he says? He says this. So, my friends, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order all things should be all things should be done decently and in order i um had a situation a number of years ago there was a person in our church some of you would know him he had uh, contracted uh, a very aggressive form of cancer and uh, so he went into hospital for what's known as 
dragon, dragon therapy, dragon therapy. It's very revolutionary. It was very new at the time where basically nothing else had worked. So they'd taken, what they do is they remove all the bone marrow and the blood out of his body, put that on the shelf. Then they then bombard the body with a, a massive dose of radiation with the hope of killing the cancer. Then they put back the blood and the bone marrow and they try and kickstart the body again. He was the second person in Perth to go through this particular treatment. The first person died. So they put him into this uh, therapy. They take out the body, put it all back. They go to kickstart the body and it doesn't come back. He's now been kept alive by life support. And so um, we went into prayer, requested to go in and pray for this man. And interestingly, his mother was involved in the New Age. And she would come and visit him as well, and I would come and visit. And by the grace of God, this man is alive today and fully fit and totally healed. An outstanding miracle. But there was a zone in which he was very ill on life support. And if he was here today, he would actually tell you this. That when my mother came into the room, I felt and saw demons trying to come and steal me off to a bad place. They were after me. And his life support would actually, would, you know, all the dials and whistles and all those sort of things, they would drop off. And he said, Pastor Mike, when you would come in and you'd pray for me, particularly when you prayed in tongues, angels would come. I'd be surrounded in the throne room of God and I'd be bathed in light. It was just saying, as you just prayed in tongues, I just felt life flowing into my body. That's his testimony. I'm just there praying as best I can. But I want to tell you this. He's alive today, still laying bricks, doing really well in Jesus. Give God glory in the house. So there ended the lesson. I thank God that we've got a church that we can actually take eight minutes to have the word of God read out in our church. That doesn't happen everywhere these days. And whilst we've covered a lot of ground very quickly, we are trying to be people of the Bible and live out what the Bible says. So, look, if you don't speak in an unknown tongue, it's only a sign. It's not meant to be a big deal. In the same way, you shouldn't be out there embracing the sign out the front. It's meant to point you to something. It's meant to point you to the reality that God's in your life, that the supernatural can happen, that God intervenes. And so we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to not only know this truth, but, Lord, to live it out. Father, we will open up our spirits, Lord, to uh, become more animated, more open, Lord, to the moving of your spirit, Lord, in our church, Lord, on a day-by-day basis. Lord, build your church, Lord. Father, it was uh, Paul's desire that we would all speak in tongues. He said, I would have that all of you speak in tongues. Lord, because he knew that when you do that, you build yourself. So, Father, we just open ourselves up to that. Lord, I come against any blockages, Lord, any mental barriers to it, Lord, any faith issues. And, Lord, I take, Lord, the authority you give me right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, just to open up, Lord, a release, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, for the moving of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Who's going to share? Not everyone knows me here, but I'm Gloria Cooper and been at this church for 12 years. The Holy Spirit can move on us, all right. Um, just a few days ago, I got a phone call from my daughter, Alison in Geraldton, who's a missionary type lady, never shuts up talking about Jesus. And... Um, Her son, Chad, has been in prison on and off from 13 to 32, drug-related crime. My grandson. And uh, she said, oh, Mum, their little baby. Because Chad's had a few babies here, there and everywhere. But do you know what? They're my family. They're my great-grandchildren. And... uh, I said, God, what can I do for Chad right now? Um, I can't get to Geraldton. 
but I can pray in you. And I prayed and prayed in the Holy Spirit. And then said, ring the prison. So I rang the prison, Geraldton. And it was like I could just get through like that. And the warden said, yeah, we'll get Chad Holland for you. And Chad was crying. And I was crying. We were just crying and crying. I said, you know that little baby? His name is Chad. Four weeks old. Went straight up to the father. And guess what? Ted has that little baby in his arms. And he he said, man, that makes me feel better. Because he loved Ted. And those that don't know, I lost my husband Ted 25 months ago. No, 28 months. God. But I'll tell you what, I give him all the praise and the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you in what you need to know, what you don't need to do. It's like me, I've tried to run away for 12 months. Sell up, move, sell up, move. But he keeps saying, stay put, stay put, stay put. Because he knows the end results of my life. He knows the next episode. So let's give him all the praise. Yes, we do, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Thank you Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We really thank you for your investment in God's house today around the word and worship. Appreciate your time. We are going to sing a song to close with. Uh, we do have a prayer team in our church. And uh, if you have been touched by anything in the message or you need answers for prayer in any way whatsoever, can I ask you to uh, come out after the service is finished and we will pray for you and believe for miracles. Can I tell you, we see God being miraculous every Sunday. We can testify to the goodness of God in this house. We see that happen. So please feel free to come out. The rest, please uh, stay around for a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. And I'll talk to Steve. Do you have a happy song? It's a happy song. It's a happy song? Okay. Let's stand, shall we? I lay my life down at your feet. You're the only.